We live in a post 9-11 world where if you were to say plane hijacking, you'd think that it's a rare thing. And in today's age, it is, with roughly 20 hijackings around the world in the last decade. But that's not exactly the case during the late 60s and early 70s, which is considered the golden age of hijacking. And on today's episode, we are looking at the most infamous case, D.B. Cooper. Welcome to Cheeky Tales. First take, nailed it. That's not, that's the first time in a long time we've had a first take. Yeah. Golden age, hey? I don't know why, but whenever I hear, oh, golden age, it's like everyone looks back and goes, ah, the good old days. <laughs> yeah. When well, you never used to be sure whether you're playing to get hijacked or not. I loved the good old days. <laughs> you're pretty much spot on the money. <laughs> it is. It you is. get on a plane, you look around, you go, which of you bastards is going to steal this plane? <laughs> oh, you're going to love when I get to that point. <laughs> It is literally considered the golden age of hijackings. Yeah, cool. So It also anyway. makes it sound a lot more dangerous and sexy. <laughs> Probably was. Where's my plane going to land today? I've got no idea. Oh, you had an idea if it was getting hijacked where it was going to land. There was a specific place nearly everyone wanted to go to. Oh, it would be like Mexico or something, right? Very close. Yeah. Anyway, how are you, boy? Yeah, not bad. I'm an international traveller now. Yeah, well, this is a, an appropriately timed... Yeah, I'm glad we're doing it after I took flight. Yeah. We got stuck in the airport. Yeah? Yeah. Tell us about that. Like, I'm going to hold you off on a certain part of your travel. Okay. And we'll speak about that once we get to it in the story. You mean the bit where we got hijacked? (laughs) No. No, hold off on security. (laughs) Uh, You can talk about everything else. Just hold off on your security experience. Yeah. Okay. Because I got a story about that too. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we were about to leave. Uh, our plan had been we'd get into the airport, drop our bags, and then go to the Antarctic Centre in Christchurch. Very good fun. Would recommend. They have a room that simulates an Antarctic storm, and that's heaps of fun. Anyway, we did that, and then we're walking back in the airport, and I look at the sky, I'm like, oh, it's pretty dark, hey? We get inside, and then we go, oh, that's a, uh, that's a heckin', uh, heckin' storm going on outside, and there's lightning and thunder and hail. Uh, and then we, um, we go, oh... Our plane's not here, and so Rachel looks up on the uh, on the old flight tracker. the uh, The flight from Melbourne that was coming to land in Christchurch had done a big U turn <laughs> and then gone straight to Auckland. Uh, and so our plane got delayed by five hours because uh, it landed in Auckland. Then they didn't have a crew that could fly, so they had to wait for another crew to come in, and then they flew it down here. And was that one of those situations that they'd been flying for a certain amount of yeah. period of time and they couldn't? Yeah. So yeah, our flight instead of landing at like five in the afternoon, we didn't land until five thirty. Sorry, 10.30, and I uh, lost my whole afternoon. Holiday ruined. And that's incorporating the, uh, what is it, a two-hour time gap between Australia yeah. and New Zealand? Yes. Yeah. I'm talking landing time. Yeah, okay. Mm. Well, um, apart from that, how was your, your, tr- your Fantastic. holiday? Fantastic. You know? We, Travel New Zealand. Everyone out in our podcast world had to suffer they an did extra fortnight because, because of my you holiday. had to have a holiday. Yeah. Um, I'm not sorry <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, it was great. Um, went snowboarding. I'm probably about two or three days more experience away from being Olympic level. Oh, nice. Very good. Um, yeah. I took one one tumble. It was very low speed. Uh, it was on one of the return roads that you go on to get between par- uh, like between runs. Uh, and yeah, I rolled like eight or nine times. 
Probably less than that. It was probably like three times. Did you turn into like a comic snowball as you flipped and the snow it gathered felt around like it. you? And the, the snowboard was going like end on end, so my <laughs> legs are like flicking up in the air as it's as it's going, and they're like strapped apart. So you're yeah. like starfishing. Yeah, and of course that then tilts your head into the ground. So I'm like rolling on my shoulders, like. <laughs> oh man, that yeah. sounds awesome. Only thing that got hurt was my pride. But um, the South Island of New Zealand is beautiful. If you haven't been there, get there. Speaking of like snow incidents. Mm. Did you hear, was it last week or the week before, the freak accident down, I think it was at Threadbow? No. The, oh, Threadbow does not have a good history. The people on the chairlift, they were getting taken back up and a mm. gust of wind blew the chairlift off the line. Like it decoupled it. What? Yeah, it Yeah, it knocked it off its line. Like, you know, like the part yeah, that was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was knocked off and it, the people in it and the chairlift fell. How far? I'm not 100% sure, but, yeah, they, I think they were taken to hospital. Yeah. Your legs are just dangling off those things. I hate chairlifts. Yeah, we caught the gondola the whole time because last time I went snowboarding, every time I got off the chairlift, I'd fall over and everyone would laugh at me. <laughs> um, we did that eventually on one of the less populated chairlifts, but, yeah, good fun. Yeah, right. So did you, just, did you go anywhere else apart from the South Island or...? Just no, we did like a big loop of the South Island, started yep. in Christchurch, went down to Dunedin, my favourite city in the world. Peace out. Love you. And then <laughs> Queenstown to snowboard and then up the West Coast, saw one of the glaciers, oh. did like a loop up the top, went whale watching, saw is, a sperm whale. Is that where Mount Doom is? Is that in? I think that's North Island. It is. Okay. Hobbiton's North Island. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think- Mount- Is it? I don't know. It was nowhere near where we were. All right. Cool. Yeah. That's all I know of touristy things in New Zealand is- How's your month been since I recorded last with you? Yeah, nothing to report. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely nothing to report. Cool. I stayed at home with kids and normal life continued on. Yeah, nice. Oh, well, let's get into it. (laughs) So, like I said, golden age of hijacking. That took place between 1968 and 1972. I didn't even get a chance to do a pun. Oh, okay. Let's take off and- um, um, I'll take control halfway through. I won't. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this golden age of hijacking, Mm. this is roughly the four-year period between 1968 and 1972. That's a short golden age. Well, in that time, around 130 hijackings of of American planes took place. That's only American planes. Right. Okay. That's a lot of hijackings. It is. Yeah. We're going to have a quick look into the history of hijackings. The first US hijacking occurred in 1961. when That's way later than I would have expected. You reckon? Yeah, like planes have been around for ages by then. Yeah. Like 40 time. years. Hmm. When Antulio Ortez took over the cockpit of a national airlines flight on its way to Key West, Florida. 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 I added an extra T in there. Yeah. He had oh, a- it's going to be Cuba. Yes, he had a <laughs> – I don't know if that part's in the episode, is it, where we're Maybe. talking about because you're just going to have a realisation moment from – If it's not in the episode before we were talking about – That's going to make no sense when you realise – It doesn't matter. Yeah. I was talking about where – like, it doesn't matter. You said, oh, where am I going to land? That's right, yeah. yeah. And I said, well, it's usually one spot. Yeah. He had a knife and a gun and demanded to be taken to – Cuba. Cuba. That's not a knife. So That's a knife. So he could warn Fidel Castro of an assassination attempt. Ah. When the plane landed in Cuba, Castro returned it and the crew (laughs) and all the passengers. Yeah. But Ortez remained in Cuba. Yeah. 
I mean, that's surprisingly nice of Castro. Well, he. So I haven't got this written down, but he it did say he wasn't really interested in like taking the plane or anything like that. He was more interested in embarrassing the U.S. government. And yeah. Like, uh, there was a fee to return every plane that was hijacked and taken to Cuba. It was like oh. $7,500. The Cuban government would charge America to return, <laughs> like a, a plane return fee yeah. type of thing. I mean, even then, that's not much money. No, not really. And then I, you say he's a nice, but what happened to these hijackers? Not so nice. Not so nice. I haven't really mm. gone into it. So this fella's gone. He's hijacked his plane to take it yep. to Cuba to, to warn Fidel. Yeah. Hey, they're going to try and off you. Fidel's like, no, you're a spy. So he's ah. actually imprisoned him yep. for two years. Oof. He's tried to leave, got yep. imprisoned again for three years or something like that. Eventually mm. did leave, got back to America and was arrested in America for the original hijacking. <laughs> oh, no. So 10 years later, he's gotten back and been arrested and sent to prison for the um, hijacking in 1961. But there was also telling, like saying there's they had like a um, prison or a gulag just for hijackers. When oh, they right. would come in. They so would, there was that many of them. They would return <laughs> the plane and everything and then they'd send mm. off like and keep the hijacker because he was – sure that they were like CIA spies or something like that. And um, yeah, apparently conditions in this gulag weren't very good. Yeah. I Um, mean, I wouldn't imagine any Cuban jail would be. Yeah, they were given like 40 pesos a week to live off of. Mm. And that was for, that was the nice one. The non-nice one, if you were like, if you pissed off Kadash Fidel, you'd be get sent to some sugar um, farm and Mm. just be like worked. Mm. So yeah, a lot of people want to go to Cuba and then even even with those stories filtering back to America of what's they happening to these people, to they it. kept wanting to do it. Why? Right. I, like, I, I can't imagine. Then again, we just get all that propaganda of like, oh, it's Soviet, it's awful. Mm. But I can't imagine in the 60s being like, I want to be in Cuba. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, most, and I mean most, like nearly all of the hijackers in this early period wanted to go to Cuba. Mm. And nearly all of the incidents ended without tragedy. Cool. There was no security in place in airports at this time either. Passengers did, however, send letters to the FAA with their suggestions on how to stop these rampant hijackings. The FAA being... Federal Aviation Administration. Thank you very much. Some of these suggestions include... These are going to be great. Yep. Anytime anytime you've got a list of... People's suggestions, they're always fantastic. Installing trapdoors outside of the cockpit. Nice. Yep. Send them down in the hold. Yep. Arming stewardesses with tranquilizer darts. Yep. Yeah. Horse tranquilizers. Get them. You're going to love this one because you were very close at the start. Playing the Cuban national anthem before takeoff and arresting anyone who knew the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) That guy's singing. Get him. It's very close to what you said at the start. Anyone who knew the lyrics? Like if they just start singing, get them. Stand up, put your heart on your your hand on your heart. Oh, 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 not again. He's a hijacker. Get him. (laughs) Uh, No, I just played the part of a Cuban in a movie. That's awesome, actually. (laughs) One proposed solution from the federal government, government themselves was building a pretend version of the Havana Airport in South Florida so that hijacked planes could land there instead. Of Brilliant. actual Cuba. Brilliant. And that was the suggestion from oh, the hello, actual Oh, hello, welcome to Cuba. Yeah. 
Why do you keep doing quotations with your fingers when you say Cuba? Cuba. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, that also reminded me that a lot of these hijack planes when they would land in the actual Havana airport yeah. would be met by Fidel Castro on the strip personally. Hello. <laughs> yeah, might give me their weight. <laughs> Another one. Fifth this week. <laughs> oh, we laugh. Get the checkpoint out. Get the checkbook out. How annoyed were you at your five-hour delay? Oh, yeah, pretty annoyed. It's the second longest delay I've had. Yeah, so we, we laugh about it now, but how annoyed mm. would you be if you were on that plane and oh, instead yeah. of landing back in Brisbane, you landed gone to in Cuba. Tasmania or something? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that with the people that landed in Auckland. Yeah, like, oh, true. So first of all, their plane was 45 minutes taking off. So they told us when we came through that it was 45 minutes late. Yeah. So- if they had taken off at the right time, they would have landed in Christchurch and just gone about their day. Mm-hmm. But instead, because it was 45 minutes late, they had to go to Auckland, wait around, five hours later land. Yeah, and then very come, frustrating. Yeah. However, the easiest and safest way to deal with these hijackers was just, just, just to give in there to demand, just to give in to their demands. Yep. Pilots were also trained to land in Havana, Jose International, because that airport wasn't like- wasn't an easy airport. Wasn't it? But it didn't have like the length of like some of the big American airports. So yeah, right. They land in bigger planes. <laughs> so these things are happening so often. They're like, look, let's just teach you how to land there. That's true. And they were also given rudimentary Spanish cards, si. so they could communicate with hijackers as well. Yeah, so that's that's the frequency this was happening. Senor, not everyone wanted to go to Cuba though. October nineteen sixty nine. Nice. Raphael. Why is it always 1969? Nice. Everything's happened. Mine's in 1969 too. Is well, it? Nice. It references 1969. Okay. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Raphael Minicello skyjacked a flight and went on a bit of a road trip. Anthony Minicello? Sky trip? Road trip. Sky trip. Anyway. I mean, you land on a road. Yeah. The original flight was from Los Angeles to San Fran, where the skyjacking took place. He then LA demanded- to San Fran. Yep. So that's not far. Well, there's probably a lot of, this is the 60s, it's yeah. probably a lot of non-far flights. Oh, they would still do that now, but like I'm just thinking the plane wouldn't have that much fuel in it. No, probably not. Yeah. So he then demanded to be taken to New York. Yeah. So that's west coast to east coast. Mm-hmm. The plane stopped in Denver yep. where the passengers were released and then continued to New York where it was refueled. FBI okay. agents tried stopping the plane from taking off here, but after Minicello fired his gun, he was allowed to leave to fly home to Rome. From New York? Yes. Okay. Well, like you said, he was only going to a short flight, but he was wanting to get to mm. Rome. So, what do you just buy the cheapest ticket you can afford and then go- And then just hijack, hijack the plane. To, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, he did escape in Rome, so the plane, they, they did get there. <laughs> Hang on, he landed in Rome and escaped. Yep. He escaped, captured <laughs> in Rome, but was tracked down later and taken into custody. How bad are the police? Uh, terrible. However, Italy did refuse to extradite him. So yeah, because they're like even... embarrassed by the fact they lost him. Yeah. So why was Minicello so, so mad? What caused him to go on this sky? The cost of a flight, I'm guessing. Well, he said he was shorted $200 in one of his paychecks as a US Marine. Oh, so he's like, F the US, I'm going to steal this plane. Yeah, and right. go home to Rome. Bit of an overreaction, but okay. Yeah. So anyway, the demands of the hijackers slowly escalated from take me to Cuba to take me to this other place mm. to give me some money or even in some cases gold bars. 
and like I said in the intro, it all came to a head in the early 70s, where in a four-year stretch, there was approximately 130 hijackings, sometimes once a week, and reportedly sometimes even like more than once a day. Wow. Imagine if once a day there was a hijacking now. Incredible. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. We think it was a thing that hardly ever happens. Like, yeah. I think when I looked it up, there was 20 in the last 10 years. Yeah. D- that even surprises me there was that many. Mm. So what woke the FAA up to the seriousness of hijackings? Well, early November in 1972, Southern Airlines Flight 49 was seized, seized by three men. They demanded $10 million. $10 million. $10 million. Again, another Austin Powers reference. Yep. If, and if they didn't receive it, what do you think they were going to crash do? it or something? They were going to crash it? Yeah. Any, into what? Into Cuba. No, not into no. Cuba. They threatened to crash the plane into the atomic reactor at Oak Ridge in Tennessee. Oh, yeah, that'll do some damage. Yeah, that's not a good one. No. Oh. <laughs> that's, <the least, laughs> that's the least happy outcome. Thankfully, that didn't happen. The ordeal didn't end in a nuclear meltdown. Did they get their $10 million? Um, no, it ended with oh. the first officer being shot. Oh. And th- the 31 passengers were held for about 29 hours. Oh. 29, that's a long time. That's a long time. Mm. After that, starting January 5th, 1973, security began appearing in airports with Mm. physical screening of passengers. Everyone had to pass through a metal detector and have their bag searched. Again, that feels like that's been around for ages, but it only started in 1973. 50 years ago. Imagine how annoying that would be the first time you came to an airport. You're used to just getting on a plane with whatever you like. I'm about to get- You rock up to an airport and they're like, hey, you can't take this knife. You'd just be like, what? I'm about to get to that. There's a blooming outrage. To begin with, it was like manually searching because not every airport yeah. had x-ray machines. Would any of them at that point? Uh, apparently some did, yeah. Okay. Interestingly, newspapers sent reporters to the airports on that first day oh, expecting go. that there would be some confrontations. Yeah. However, the public seemed to welcome it at that point. <laughs> yeah, because they're all like, oh, good, I'm going to get where I'm going <laughs> instead of ending up in Cuba again. <laughs> Even though it had caused delays, I guess everyone was fed up with how long hijackings had been going on for and the frequency of them. Yeah. And they expected the new security I if, measures. I wonder if there was anyone that was on two hijack planes. Oh, it would have to have been. Like, did it, did anyone end up in Cuba, Cuba twice? Like three or four times. Yes. <laughs> the fourth time, been. you're like, may as well just work here, you know? Oh, if only we had someone to look that up. Sean could- oh. We haven't actually mentioned he's not here yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's still around. We he's, haven't fired him. He's 20 minutes in. We're like, Sean's not here, by the way. Yeah, heads up. Sean's not here this week <laughs> or next week. Got a damn mic um, stand and hasn't yeah, showed up got a for mic four stand. episodes. Definitely didn't steal it from, I mean, borrow it. I mean, take it from work. It also wasn't work, so I didn't steal anything from work. All you snitches listening to this. It's I all getting steal cut. Shit. This is all getting cut anyway. Surely. Nah. Okay. So to now- be clear, I didn't steal anything. It was there, but it wasn't work property. Somebody who used to work there left it there. Wouldn't that make it work property? No. Look, it's Ben's mic stand, all right? Okay. If anyone snitches, <laughs> I'll be very mad. Ben's probably listening. Ben probably doesn't listen. Oh. So, yeah, that's when secu- the security in airport started in 1973. Now, you said you had a security story? Yeah, so there's four of us on the last time I left New Zealand, when I left my for my work function last time, um, I got to the airport and I was really tired and I forgot that I had the water bottle in my bag. So I got pulled aside for a talking to. Metal water bottle? 
Nah, just like a pump bottle. But it had water in it. So they were like, you oh, can't have you this. can't take so much fluid. Yeah. International flights, right. They took the bottle and they're like, hey, do you want this back? I'm like, no, it's a pump bottle. So oh, anyway. so it's just a disposable. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, you just can't take water. Um, but this time there was four of us. It wasn't water, was it? It was vodka. No, it was water. Okay. High quality H2O. Oh, I also got told off last oh. time for not taking my boots off. I got told off for that again. Um, but yeah, four of us went through security. Uh, three of us got pulled off to the side to be uh, investigated. Mine was because I'd left my laptop in there. They didn't check anything. They just went, oh, your laptop was in there. I was like, okay. In, in where? In my bag. You carry on. Oh, okay. Oh, because it went through the machine. Yeah. yeah. But they didn't then check the bag. They just told me off having the laptop in there and then I left. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember. Oh, Sean had a V and he got given the option of chugging it there on the spot <laughs> or throwing it out. <laughs> and what did Bree have? I think Bree had a water bottle or something. But yeah, we just got uh, we got bailed up. It's good times. Very fun. Um, actually, I've got a security story. Oh, what did you do? Uh, just- oh, actually, my, my uncle, he's an explosives um, technician in the mines, so he has to fly with a special certificate. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a few times where, like, um, I've taken someone to the airport and, like, the day before I've worked in, like, the explosive yeah. storage at work. Yeah. Thinking, oh, crap, am I going to- Are you going to trigger it? Trigger it. I'll terrorist John out yeah. again. Um, this week we went to our local courthouse to get some papers signed by JP. Yep. Um, and there's a security checkpoint at the front of that. Mm. Um, Why would you go there instead of just, like, the JPs in the mall? Because it was the day that they weren't in the Right, mall. okay. Right. Anyway, we've gone through the security checkpoint. Um, I've got like my work boots and stuff on because I've just ducked out at my lunch break. kirsty has gone through, given a bag, and the guy's gone through it. He's just pulled out a screwdriver. Mm. And, he's, and he's like, you can't take this in. And she's, I'm like, why do you have a screwdriver? Like a flat blade screwdriver. She's in like, a handbag. In a handbag. She's like, oh, yeah, I, I forgot that was in there. I must have just grabbed it for something and left it in there. Like found it in the car when she was cleaning it out yeah. or something. But Did they take it off you then? Yeah, they took so it off. So now you're down a screwdriver. No, no, they left it at the desk and we picked it oh, up okay. on the way out. But it's yeah. just funny. Like she pulled it out like you can't take this in. I'm like, why do you have that in your yeah. handbag? Yeah, I was funny. just planning some nefarious deeds. <laughs> it's going to yeah, take off that safe door. <laughs> With a flathead. Yep. <laughs> All right, so on to the man of the episode. And if you've seen Loki season one, about halfway through the first episode, you might know this story better than you realise. Yeah, because they ripped it off. Have you seen it? No, oh, I've seen enough of it. Yeah, I know. I know the, the Loki scene as well. Okay. November 24th, 1971, the eve of Thanksgiving, and a man carrying a black briefcase approached the flight counter of Northwest Orient Airlines at Portland International Airport. He bought a one-way ticket on flight 305 to Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, a 35-minute flight. He paid using cash and listed his name as Dan Cooper. He was described by eyewitnesses as a white male in his mid-40s with dark hair and brown eyes, wearing a dark-coloured business suit, a white shirt, thin black tie, a black raincoat and brown shoes. I guess when you don't have a smartphone to get lost in, you might notice your surroundings a bit better. Like, (laughs) this is the early 70s. Like, like pe- seeing what people wear. But people wear. Like, yeah. if you were to ask for eyewitnesses now, I think people would be like, uh, I know I got like a combo and candy crush, but I don't know what he was wearing. <laughs> you reckon you, you reckon you couldn't, 
couldn't name what someone was wearing? Depends. I think if there was like maybe less than 10 people, yes. But if there was more than 10 people, I probably mm. wouldn't be paying that much attention. True. True. Yep. And for how long you're sitting there. Like I'm assuming the people you were with for five hours in that airport, you probably can still remember yeah, what I they remember were wearing. <laughs> so we were sitting at this like bar restaurant thing in the airport and these two like middle-aged, oh, they were like probably slightly older than middle-aged, like 60s, 70s these two women sitting next to us and they just kept pounding drinks and they were getting louder and louder. And <laughs> really? like, bah! I remember saying to Brie at one point, I was like, I don't think these two are getting on the plane. Getting on. They're, they're hammered. <laughs> yeah. I saw them in Brisbane, so they made it. Oh, nice. Mm. Were they sober by then? Nah. No. <laughs> Still kept chugging on on the plane. Yeah. They must've had at least two on the plane. Nice. So he was carrying, as I mentioned before, um, a black suitcase and he also had a brown paper bag. Cooper boarded flight 305, a Boeing 727-100 and took his seat, 18E, which is in the last row, in order to drink bourbon and 7-Up. Nice. Bourbon and 7-Up. Initially, nothing was amiss. The flight took off on time at 2.50 p.m. What a brag. Just t- taking off on time. With six crew, 37 passengers, and shortly after takeoff, however, Cooper handed flight attendant Florence Schaffner who was sitting in the jump seat behind Cooper, a note. What were you laughing at? I was just laughing because the last the last time you took a flight, I came to pick you up. You were yeah. like an hour and a half delayed. I was an hour and a half delayed as yeah. well. Schaffner assumed that this was Cooper's attempt at coming onto her by giving her his phone number. <laughs> hey, baby. And thoughtlessly dropped the note unopened into her purse. Cooper then leaned towards Schaffner and whispered, how are you doing? No. No, he whispered... <laughs> Hey, baby, you like sports car? <laughs> I got sports car. <laughs> no, he whispered, Miss, you better look at that note. I have a bomb. I like how he's like handcrafted this note and he's like, all right, this is going to be this great moment of yeah. her like having this realization. Yep. And she just puts it in his bag. He's like, come on. <laughs> come on. Have a look at it. When Schaffner, <laughs> when Schaffner opened the note, in neat capital letters printed with felt pen were the words, Miss, I have a bomb in my briefcase and I want you to sit by me. So just on the theme of yeah. like him trying to come on to her, yeah. Miss, I have a bomb in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So real serious situation. Yes, he yes. claimed to have a bomb. It's pretty serious. Yeah. She returned the note and sat next to Cooper as requested and quietly asked to see the bomb. Cooper opened his briefcase, revealing two rows of four red cylinders, which she assumed was dynamite attached was a wire and a large battery. Okay. Cooper then told Schaffner of his demands, which were $200,000 in a knapsack knapsack by 5 p.m. And he also wanted two front parachutes and two back parachutes. Front parachute? It's like a parachute you strap onto the front of you. Usually they're like a reserve chute that you strap onto the front. Oh, right. Okay. Schaffner took this information to Captain William A. Scott, who then informed Northwest Flight Operations. The captain asked Schaffner to remain in the cockpit and take notes of the events as they unfolded. This would mean Tina Mucklow would sit next to Cooper to act as a liaison between him and the flight crew. Wow, so they took the original girl off and put her on the bench. Yep. Wow. Additional demands were made. When landing in Seattle, fuel trucks must meet the plane and all passengers must remain seated while the money was brought on board. Cooper would release the passengers once the money was on board and the parachutes had come and the parachutes to come on last. 
The other passengers were unaware of what was happening as they were told the arrival in Seattle would be delayed due to a minor technical, a minor mechanical difficulty. The president of the airline company authorised the payment of the ransom and issued his staff to comply with all of Cooper's, Cooper's requests. Flight 305 would circle for two hours to give authorities enough time to gather the money, parachutes and organise emergency personnel. I'm guessing at this point, the people <coughs> on the plane worked out what was going on. Apparently not. When you're circling for an extra two hours on your flight. Yep. So uh, it was said that one of the passengers got up and was asking like this um, Mucklow who was sitting next yeah. to Cooper what was going on. And he was described as a cowboy. And- <laughs> How did miss? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was said that um, Cooper kind of found it amusing. That yeah. That he nobody- was, He was getting like- What's going on? Why aren't we being told? What's the issue type of thing like that? Right. Another- He was being asked or- Well, he kind of said, sit down. He told the cowboy to sit down and the cowboy kind of ignored him because he didn't realize what was happening. Yeah. Uh, Another version of the events goes, same thing. um, And then Cooper was like, if that's a sky marshal, like he needs to not do that again because he was a bit irritated with it. Yeah. So there's a bit of- yeah, it could have been a sky marshal because apparently that cowboy was actually never questioned after the event, even okay. though he kind of had a minor interaction with Cooper. Yeah. So, yeah, Mucklow would remain next to Cooper nearly the entire time and said Cooper appeared familiar with the local terrain, commenting on landmarks as he peered out the window. She also commented on his attitude, saying that he wasn't nervous and seemed rather nice and was not cruel or nasty. She also asked why Cooper had chosen Northwest Airlines to hijack. He would laugh and reply, It's not because I have a grudge against your airlines. It's just because I have a grudge. Okay. Then explained that this flight simply suited his needs. Around 5.30 p.m., the captain was informed the parachutes and money had been delivered to the airport uh, and then told Cooper that they would be landing soon and at 5.45 p.m., the plane landed. It was parked away from the main terminal and on a partially lit runway. The request from Cooper was that only an airline representative could approach the plane with the goods and only enter via the front door with a mobile staircase. It's also said that this airline representative changed clothes to like civilian clothes, so not to be confused with like right. a police official. Must yeah. be like maybe if you look it up, maybe they got blue uniforms or something. Yeah. Mucklow exited the front door and collected the bag of money. When she returned, she carried the bag past the seated passengers to Cooper in the last row. Again, I don't believe they know what's going on, or they might, but yeah, she's just carrying this 200000 yeah, past everyone. The passengers were then released, and as they disembarked, Cooper inspected the money. As a joke, Mucklow asked if she could have some. Huh. <laughs> and Coop- some money then keeps. Cooper agreed, handing her a packet of bills. Mucklow immediately returned the money and explained that accepting it was against company policy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I actually can't take hijacking money. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Cooper had tried to tip her and the other two flight attendants earlier with his own money from his own pocket but they had also declined citing the same policy. Right. So it doesn't That's seem a like, bit annoying. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a too bad of a bloke. He's offering to tip yeah. the service girls. And- From what I've heard about this story in the past, D.B. Cooper was like this super nice, suave, cool gentleman. Yeah. Who just also happened to hijack a plane. Hijack a plane. Yeah. yeah. After all the passengers had left, it was only Cooper and the crew left aboard. Mucklow continued to make trips outside cl- to collect the parachutes. The other two flight attendants asked to leave and were granted permission to exit the plane. Apparently, the story goes that um, 
one of the other flight attendants like, oh, can I get my purse behind you? Yeah. And he said, oh, yeah, I don't buy it. You know, whatever you ladies wish, you, know, you want to leave. Yeah, right. Feel free. So again, like you said, oh, super nice So team. they didn't have to stay on the plane. No. Right. Okay. So after a delay in the refueling process, apparently it took like three or four refueling trucks to- To fill the thing. To, to fill it because there was something yeah. wrong. Cooper gave the flight crew his flight plan, a direction of a southeast towards Mexico City at the minimum airspeed possible without stalling the plane. He also requested that the plane go no higher than 10,000 feet and that the landing gear remain deployed and the flaps be set at 15 degrees and the cabin to be remained unpressurized. Right. So, yeah, he's preparing something. He's preparing something. Yeah. So, no higher than 10,000. No higher than 10,000. And the slowest possible speed without stalling the plane. Yep. And unpressurized. Unpressurized. Landing gear down, flaps down. So. Yeah. So he wants it slow. He wants it slow. Yeah. Okay. Around 7.40 PM, flight 305 took off with only Cooper, Mucklow, Captain Scott, First Officer Radazak. Ratatouille. And flight engineer Anderson aboard. It was followed by two US fighter jets and a trainer plane, but they kept it a distance- they kept a distance back and remained out of Cooper's view. After takeoff, Cooper told Mucklow to lower, to lower the rear staircase. Her reply would be that she was scared of being sucked out of the plane. Cooper would then decide to lower the staircase himself and told Mucklow to go be to go to the cockpit and close the curtain between the first class section, must be nice, and the economy section and to not return. Must be very <laughs> nice. Yep. Before leaving, however... Mucklow begged Cooper to take the bomb with him. He said he would either disarm the bomb or take it with him. Mucklow was the last person to see Cooper. As she closed the curtain, she saw him tying the bag of money around his waist. The time from takeoff to when Cooper was last seen was only about four to five minutes. All right, so they're probably still on the climb. Well, they can't go any higher than 10,000, so it's not going to be that much of a climb. Yeah. At around 8 p.m., a warning light in the cockpit, so about 10... What did I say? Oh, 20 minutes after takeoff. A warning light in the cockpit informed the pilots that the rear staircase had been deployed and the pilot used the intercom to ask if Cooper needed assistance, to which a single word reply came back, no. About 8.13pm, the tail section of the plane suddenly pitched upwards and that forced the pilots to trim and to return the aircraft to level flight. You know what I mean by trim? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a when you set the plane to fly... With the horizon, you, you have little things to automatically set the wing positions to it's keep elevator, it level. generally. Yeah, yep. to keep it level. Just means the pilot doesn't have to constantly correct it. Correct. Uh, and that is how everyone remained for the rest of the flight until they landed in Reno Tahoe International Airport at 11 p.m. They were unable to reach Mexico City due to the configuration the plane was in, the extra drag from the deployed landing gear and flaps. So yeah. they didn't have enough fuel because of the extra drag. So has anybody gone back to see what's going on with Coops? No. Right. The investigation started the next day and continued for months. 66 sets of fingerprints were found, as well as Cooper's black clip-on tie, tie clip, and two of the four parachutes. Sorry, clip-on tie. Clip-on tie. Oh, that's a bit less cool. Yeah. So uh, one of the... So, um, yeah, there was two sets of front parachutes and two sets of rear parachutes. One of the front parachutes, like reserve chutes, was actually like a dummy chute because they were taken from like a trading school. Right. So if you pulled the cord, it wouldn't actually 
open. Open. The other reserve chute was actually cut open and like strips cut out of it to like be able to take and be, and be formed into a sack to be able to take money. So he's actually cut open one of the parachutes oh, to, okay. to make another money bag type of thing. Right. Okay. Many people were questioned, witnesses and suspects alike. One suspect, a Portland citizen named D.B. Cooper, had a what? minor police record and was quickly eliminated as a suspect. Because he was clearly not on the plane? Clearly not on the plane. Yeah. Remember the our hijacker, Cooper? Yeah. Used the name Dan Cooper. Yeah. However- one news reporter in a rush to make his deadline mistakenly confused this suspect with the hijacker and the other newspapers repeated the error and that's how we know this hijacker as D.B. Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, right. Okay. I've heard a bit about this story. I, I totally forgot that, that yeah, fact that, that his was name was not never actually, D.B. Cooper. Nope. Yeah, right. Determining a search area proved difficult as there were lots of variables, such as the plane speed was only estimated, only Cooper knew how long he remained in freefall, and the changing environmental conditions along the flight path. The US fighters that were following didn't see anyone jumping out of the back of the plane either, although seeing a man dressed completely in black jumping at night time on a moonless night... Probably difficult. Probably difficult yeah. to see anything. Many recreation flights were made as well. Uh, one was they had, the actual, they had the SR-71 fly over the path with the camera looking for like evidence of like backpacks or parachutes oh, right. or something. Okay. So they used the Blackbird. Sick plane. Very cool plane. Yeah. Holes in the cockpit when it takes off. Yeah. It only closes up at supersonic speed. Yeah. Terrifying. Leaks when it's on the ground. Mm-hmm. Did you know that it it uses its own fuel as the hydraulic fluid? I did not know that. Yeah. That seems dangerous. Because uh, you're compression. I that too. Yeah. yeah. Also, the reason that it had to refuel as soon as it took off was actually because it had a system to- it would replace the air in the fuel tanks with nitrogen because that was more stable at high speeds. Right. Yeah. Anyway, this isn't um, SR71 chat, <laughs> chat. My, uh, my other secret podcast. That's our next podcast coming yeah. out on alternating weeks. <laughs> Cheeky Tales. <laughs> Cheeky Tales, SR71 edition. <laughs> so, yeah, the recreation flights were made, whether it was to search for evidence along the path or recreate the plane's tail rising mm. at that certain point which they did recreate by pushing a 91-kilogram sled out of the open set staircase. They were re- able to recreate that tail rising, like the moment Cooper was meant to jump yeah. out. I, d- I like the idea of just you're in your yard or whatever. and this <laughs> Sled. sled. Like, what the hell? <laughs> the estimated drop zone was also revised multiple times with the FBI finally concluding that Cooper probably jumped out over LA Center in Washington. In 2019, the FBI released a report indicating about three hours after Cooper jumped, a burglary was reported at a small grocery store near Heeson, Washington. The burglary was noted because the only thing stolen were survival items such as beef jerky and gloves. Right, okay. A skeleton was also found, like when in search of evidence. Uh, It was found in an abandoned structure, uh, but was later identified as missing teenage girl Barbara Ann Derry. She had been abducted and murdered several weeks earlier. Oh, well, that's sad. Well, it makes you wonder if she would have been found if this didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, probably eventually, right? Eventually. Yeah. The FBI speculated that he didn't even survive the jump. But in the following year, 15 copycat hijackings took place. 
Hello, my name's uh, uh, um, JT Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) And all 15 men survived their exploits and all had similar circumstances to Cooper's jump. So when I say copycat, they all hijacked a plane, wanted to parachute out. Hello, miss, I've got a note for you. (laughs) However, they were all captured, so none of them got away with theirs. Were any of them wearing clip-on ties? I don't believe so. Hmm. One example is Martin McNally. He jumped using only a reserve chute. Oh, geez. Without protective gear and at night. It seemed that Cooper was familiar or experienced with parachutes because McNally had to be shown how to put his on. <laughs> uh, can you imagine the first time you're parachuting out of a plane? After you hijacked it. After you've hijacked it. <sighs> like, that just says poor planning. Additionally, the pilot on McNally's plane was travelling almost twice the speed as Flight 305. The increased wind speed would cause a pretty violent jump and the money bag was torn from him almost immediately. What a waste. Yet he landed unharmed except from superficial scratches and bruises. Yeah. By the way, I do love that we're like, oh, you know, making fun of this, but it's a hijacking. It's It's pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah. There were many, many suspects. In my research, I counted 16 persons of interest. Okay. The FBI website states that by the fifth year anniversary, they had considered more than 800 suspects. Ooh but had eliminated all but 24 from consideration. Okay. That's I, still a lot of people. I'm not going into the Not going into list. all 24? No. Some of the ransom, you're not at the FBI. Some of the ransom money was recovered. Can't not be bothered. We've heard, we've heard stories before where the police have just done that. They're going, yeah, whatever. That's true, yeah. Where's the seance? That's where I want That's <laughs> yeah, what I want to right. know. I get the Christie. <laughs> Some of the ransom money was recovered on February 10th, 1980. An eight-year-old boy, Brian Ingram, found packets of cash on a beach while vacationing on the Columbia River. He found three packets of cash totaling around $5,800. Although the cash was aged due to lengthy exposure to the elements, they were confirmed by the FBI as money from the ransom. Two packets of $120 bills and one packet of 90 Right. I believe the serial number of each bill was recorded. So that's how they're able to match it up like they yeah. record. And I think they said every serial number started with L. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, they would have, they would have recorded the money. Is yeah. And that it was, it was, what did I say? $200,000 uh, and they were all $20 bills or $20 notes. One other consequence from DB Cooper was a modification made to all of Boeing's 727s, a device called the Cooper Vane. It prevented the lowering of the rear air stair during flight. The device consisted of a flat blade of aluminium or aluminium <laughs> mounted on a pivot and was spring-loaded to stay out of the way of the door while the aircraft was at rest, but aerodynamically moves into position when the plane reaches travel speed. Oh. So when it automatically gets like that cruising speed, this yeah. little bit of aluminium drops down and stops the door from being well, That's pretty opened. smart. Mm. And that was, like I said, retro- Actively yeah. fitted to Retro, all. Retrofitted. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Also, peepholes were installed into cockpits so that flight crew, like the cockpit doors, so that flight crews could see passengers without physically opening the door. Yeah, smart. Mm. Couple of little fun tidbits to end on, boy. Couple of titties. <laughs> well, titties. You said, said. No, you, you said it. D.B. Cooper in pop culture. Why yeah. have you gone red, boy? Hey. Why have you gone red? Because I thought that was really funny. <laughs> it is funny, but a couple of little tids. Show us your tids, boy. 
<laughs> That's what you should have went with. <laughs> I'm going to reference this next next episode too. So yeah, DB Cooper and pop culture. Obviously, the one I mentioned earlier with Loki, as Loki seeing being DB Cooper and jumping out of the plane before being teleported back to Asgard while in freefall. Yep. Other shows to include Cooper is Prison Break. Did they? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Have you seen Prison Break? No. No, I haven't either. I watched the clip. It's like- um, Apparently, it's fantastic. Yeah, the main dude walks up to this guy. He's like, oh, do you want to be in on this escape plan? And the guy's like, why? Because you think I'm DB Cooper? And the guy's like, no, because I know. And then they go through this whole thing. Like, you jumped out here. The only way to get from here to here is a couple of, like, is via flight. You know, you, you landed with a bunch of money. That's why you hurt your knee. And then you broke this. Yeah. Pretty cool. Look it up. Just go right, okay. DB Cooper, prison break. You'll get the clip. Okay. Uh, the Blacklist, 30 Rock, Numbers, and Breaking Bad. Right. There you go. Do you know the reference in Breaking Bad? No. You've seen Breaking Bad? I'm going to say yes so you don't question me on it. Okay. Well, anyway, for everyone else who doesn't remember or and has seen Breaking Bad, it's when- yeah, I definitely do remember. I'm just going to let you- It's when Walter White first meets Saul Goodman. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, he walks in like Walter White's got his hat and sunglasses on and he walks in and Sol Goodman's like, oh, look at you. Do I need to call the FBI and tell them we found D.B. Cooper? So mm. that's all it is. As well as many, many other pop culture references, D.B. Cooper days take, took place in Vancouver, Washington from 2018 to 2023, <laughs> where Cooper researchers and enthusiasts would gather every year. Earlier this year, it was moved to Seattle and renamed CooperCon. CoopCon. So there is I a, love that. There's a convention every year for D.B. Cooper. I love that. On July 18th, 2016, the FBI announced it was suspending the active investigation into D.B. Cooper, ending the 45-year case. The 66-volume case file has been preserved at the FBI headquarters and on the FBI website, and all of the evidence is open to the public. This remains, to this day, the only unsolved air piracy case. Yeah. Cooper was never found alive or dead. That's pretty cool on its own, hey, is that he stole a plane and- And $200,000. And got away with it. I mean, he might be dead, but like the fact that he was never found, that's pretty cool. And got away with it. Yeah. D.B. Cooper is a fantastic story. There's a whole Netflix series on investigating it. I think it's called D.B. Cooper, Where Are You? Yes, there is. Yeah. As well as those TV shows that I mentioned, which are all fictional- there are many um, true are crime you? TV shows that have looked D. into B. the case of D.B. Cooper. Who are you, D.B. Cooper? I'm doing the who. Yeah, I got it. Mm. Yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. Like um, Some might say it was <clears throat> dope. There's lots, like I said, there's lots of suspects that could have, you know, got lost in the weeds of going why they considered a suspect. Yeah. Which then- the next paragraph says why they're not D.B. Cooper. Yeah. So there's no clear cut really of anyone. Multiple people have claimed to be D.B. Cooper out of those suspects. Um, Odd that you would claim to be that. Yeah, I know. Like, I am D.B. Cooper. No, you're not. Oh, guess not. I guess it's just looking for the infamy, really. You want to yeah. be famous? So that is the story of D.B. Cooper. There's... um. I've, I've done a couple of episodes recently where I said we could do follow-up episodes. There's definitely the uh, chance of doing an episode where we look into the copycat. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool, seeing the uh, best copycats. The copycats of D.B. Cooper and just hijacking stories in general because 
like I said, 130. And that's just, that was just in America. Yeah, that's a lot of hijackings. There was, I think I looked it up. Like if you, if you go to hijackings on Wikipedia, they list them out and it's just yeah. like 1961, maybe two, 63, 64. And then it's just like pages from 68, pages yeah. of 69, pages of, there's so many. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Anyway, well, thanks for listening this stuff. week to Cheeky Tales. We welcome are, back. Thanks for dealing with the uh, the month off. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, giving Aaron the time off. I was ready and raring to go, but no, Aaron didn't were. want it. No, you dog. <laughs> so the actual story no. is that we were prepared to record. I was prepared to record. And uh, and somebody, somebody was a little sicky. I wasn't sick. It was my family was sick and Somebody I didn't was want caring to, for my well-being. I didn't I want to get you on. sick before your holiday. It was very thoughtful. Thank you. Even though you come back with a plane load of sick people. Uh, I think uh, maybe check your records, boy. <laughs> I wasn't sick. I didn't say you were. I said That's you came right. back with a plane load of sick people. 75% of the people that I went on holidays <laughs> with came back sick, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get the vid. No, no, no. Because I'm superior. Uh, yeah. So thank you for listening. We are cheeky boys. I've been your host this week, John. I am Aaron, um, the healthy boy. Always good podcasting procedure to do the intros at the end. That's right. <laughs> it is officially the best way to do it is to introduce yourself when most people have given up listening. <laughs> I've already pressed stopped, <laughs> moved on to the next one. No, um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Cheeky Tales Pod. I hate that. <laughs> we do also have a threads, but we have not posted a single thing on there. <laughs> um, you know, you can't use it on PC. What's what? the point? Yeah. You, you go to the threads website. It's a beautiful website, but you can't use it. So yeah, find us there. Um, you can also find us, hopefully you've already found us on all the major podcast dist- distributors. If you haven't, tell us how you're listening. because That'd be very interesting. Yeah. Skipping our analytics. Or you're just on podbean.com, our hosting <laughs> website. But no, if you can share it with a friend, that'd be great. Um, share it with someone who likes Loki or may have seen the TV show Loki and they can find out the real story of D.B. Cooper. Share it with a friend that likes hijacking planes. No, and maybe then also report them to the authorities. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Good All right. stuff. Good episode, boy. Wrap it up. We'll be back in two weeks' time. With your story, boy. Yeah, I'll see you then. Good night, podcast world. No, what's my ta- what's my sign off? I don't know. Good night, chiquitos. That's it. Mine's good night. Just a solid good night. And as always, Sean's silence. <laughs> Say something, Sean. Cool. <laughs> and scene.